Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a slightly flat Coleman Had a Dream podcast. I am joined, as always, by Ruth. How are you, Ruth? Flat and boiling hot, which is <laughs> we've we've been weathering a terrible heat wave in here in the Pacific Northwest, and it's it's just drained everyone, and it just can't. I think it very much reflects the mood at the minute. Yes, well, I you know I was about to complain about the weather here is is muggy, but uh, I feel like it's not quite the same as uh, what do you say it was? Of like forty five degrees. It's it's been yesterday we forty five centigrade. Yeah, yeah, crazy, absolutely crazy. That's it. I'm getting sunburned just thinking about that. Um, how uh, <laughs> how did you, how did you get on with a match on Saturday? Did you did you have drinks? What was uh, what was it like? Well, it was nine o'clock in the morning, so I stuck to the coffee and and then had a big drink afterwards. Yeah, I don't blame you. Um, it was that that sort of morning. What about you? I had a rather different day from <laughs> from what I saw you posting. Yeah, it was uh, it was quite a weird week in general, to be perfectly honest. I um. I got a few texts earlier in the week uh, with, with, with Ant from school. I think I mentioned this last time and from BBC and they said, can we do a few things? So yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I don't know how or why or what happened, but I think my number got kind of passed on and passed on and passed on and people kind of kept messages on Twitter. And I was just like walking through the front door. Was just, Joy was like, oh, who are you on the phone to? I was just like, oh, just talk sport. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's casual. Don't worry about it. And it just kind of got ridiculous. Um, like my phone was kind of going left, right, and centre, and uh, yeah, I think the weirdest one was getting to the stadium, obviously. And I promised that I'd do a, uh, an interview for BBC News Twenty Four. Totally forgot about it, um, and got an email saying like, "Our oh, Zoom starts in five minutes. Just checking you're still ready." I was like, "Oh God," um, because obviously by that point I was. Uh, well oiled shall we say uh and they kind of complained about the angle i was doing it from so my friend carly who had come over to watch the game with us she kind of had to hold my phone so obviously you know the more tired her arms got during the conversation the more it kind of dipped so by the end you couldn't even see my eyes i don't think you could just see the tip of my nose and the, and the, and the peak of my floppy hat but uh yeah to be honest it was it was quite it was quite a weird experience to be honest like being back in football uh, was amazing Obviously, it's the first football match I've been to for for a long time. First Wales game for for an even longer time. So, like being back there was pretty special, um, and just being part of the football atmosphere. I'll I'll just say this story quickly. But we were on the train and uh, kind of we'd been in a couple of squares and having a few drinks. And there were obviously there was a, a reasonable number of Wales fans around. Actually, I was a bit surprised how many there were. Um, and we hadn't really seen many Danish people. So I was, you know, we were kind of chatting, saying, oh, maybe it's kind of over-exaggerated, um, you know, the amount of the amount of Danes that are, that are going. So we got on the tram to go to the ground, and it kind of pulled up at a, at a stop about two or three after where we had got on. And it was like a Scooby-Doo cartoon where they've just got the same repeating background on a, on a tiny little loop, like, like Scooby-Doo running past the same building over and over again. It was like we were going past the same Danish lads over and over again. I'm not joking. There were hundreds of them. And we kind of all looked at each other just like, oh, God, there's actually really quite a lot. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, it, they all kind of piled on the train. And it was like Corona didn't exist. They were all just singing and bouncing around, and I had some fat blokes boobs in my face, and you know, it was uh, it was quite it was quite a unique experience to be honest. But that sort of 
excitement and, and everything else about going back to a match was, was really amazing. And kind of walking into the bowl and seeing seeing that stretch of green and seeing the big stands and everything else. I, it was genuinely quite, I don't say it wasn't quite emotional, but quite like, yeah, it was quite overwhelming, I would say. And like we were surrounded by the Danes and singing the anthem and stuff. You know, I thought I was going to get kind of teary, but you didn't really have a chance because there was no one else. You, you just felt like you were singing on your own, really. Uh, it was uh, it was quite surreal, but I saw uh, saw a kid from school before I went in. High fived him and his dad. Never met the dad, and obviously I was a bit pissed and just come off doing some TV interviews. So it was all a very surreal experience. But uh, I think the 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 excitement of it all was amazing. Obviously, but you know, brought back to earth with a bump with the with the game and the result. But I think definitely the worst bit was every time the Danes scored, they just threw their beer up in the air. So it was bad enough that you've conceded a goal. You then you then straight away stink of you know lukewarm Heineken for the next however however many minutes and of course when that happens four times it's uh, yeah I would describe it as a fairly unpleasant experience um, but uh, yeah the Danes around us were all relatively well mannered and like seemed like good lads we had a couple behind us who every time they scored kind of like tried to like throw their arms around our necks and kind of give us a bit of grief which obviously didn't go down very well um with our little group but uh yeah all together it was i would describe it as a bittersweet day i don't know if, I don't know if that's a bit too flouncy language but uh, i think that's the best way to describe it i can imagine that david obviously we're going to talk about the game and a lot of wider stuff but just just the pleasure of being back at a, a football game i'm, I'm sure it's it's very real and very sort of visceral um, after after all this time. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, I think it's the little things that you miss as well. To be honest, like all the build-up stuff was pretty good natured. Like I say, it was a bit of a laugh. But equally, you know, the referee makes a bad decision, and you're up effing and blinding and whatever else. And then you know the the, the Danish lad three rows in front to turn around like oh those you know the courses are booking blah, blah, blah. like just having even the back and forth with people is. Uh, is something I've missed, and you know, it was uh, yeah, it was it was a surreal but uh, but very enjoyable experience in, in terms of the experience. Obviously, the match was absolutely heartbreaking, but uh, as you say, we will uh, we'll talk about that now, I suppose. Um, so I think it's important that we kind of, as as you've said in our notes here, kind of gain some perspective before we kind of talk about what was obviously a disappointing game. Um, I mean, obviously, there's lots of there's lots of positives to take, but uh, what is the what are the key ones for you? I think it's the bigger picture, kind of where we are versus where we've been. Um, we're here post, a, you know, a, a knockout game in a tournament, feeling disappointed, and I think, I mean, I, I worry this is actually going to end up quite an a sort of negative um, negative podcast, but I think it's important it's we're disappointed but in a framework of having achieved so much. I think we look at where we were ten years ago relative to now, just as an example. You know, we were in I don't know what, hundred and fortieth, hundred and fifteenth in the world worse than the pharaohs in terms of our ranking and and yet now we're in a position where we can actually feel pretty gutted about going out in the knockout stage of a major tournament and i think we we shouldn't lose sight of just 
what an incredible trajectory that's been um, and and just ha- how far we've come and how much we've achieved. Yeah, I mean, I, I do the not... Framework of, in the framework of being disappointed now. Yeah, no, no, I, I get that. And, I and you know, we have come a, a hugely long way and I think there's a lot to be proud of. I think, you know, I think the players as a general rule, perform brilliantly for us. And I think they represent Wales so well. And I think, you know, we say this about the women a lot as well, I think, but, you know, the way the men's team are, just as humans, seems really uh, like they get it, like they fully understand what, what, what this means to us as fans as well. And I think that's really impressive. And I think that is a part of, the, you know, everything that they're doing. It's not just the success, but it's also the ba- the backing that they get and the belief that we have in them and, um, you know, and that's because of their excellence on the pitch, really. So it is is a difficult one, really, because I I was and remain very disappointed about the weekend. But as you say, you know, it's not even how far we've come. I think it's the fact that something that we never thought, or I certainly never thought, would happen in my lifetime, has happened twice in successive tournaments in in the Euros setting. So, you know, from that from that perspective, I think it's just been. You know, as uh, as the famous saying goes, it's not where the journey takes you, but it's the journey itself. And I think that's very kind of apt in this circumstance. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the, strangely, one of the joys of now is how dire we, which, you know, makes the, makes the trajectory so much more enjoyable, doesn't it? Oh, massively. Like to, to, to kind of scale the heights we have, given where we were, like you said, we were 117th in the world not so long ago. You know, 10 years ago is, is in no, not, not, not long in football circles. So to, to, to make the climb that we have, and you think about the genuine tragedy that has kind of occurred along the way as well, it's, it kind of makes the whole circumstance, you know, remarkable. I mean, to look at the actual game itself, obviously, you know, it's, it's great to be positive here, but we've got to be realistic as well. We did still lose the game. And, I, you know, I, I certainly don't think we played well. I, I, certainly, I certainly don't think there's huge amounts to shout about in a positive way. Um, I mean, let's look at let's look at the goals first, I think is probably the best way to to kind of go through the game. If, if anyone is, <laughs> is going to hang on listening to us at this point. Um, I can't decide if the first goal is a really good finish. I mean, well, that's a stupid thing to say. It's obviously a really good finish. But I can't decide if it's purely a really good finish or, the, or if there's a little bit more we could have done about it. I do think Damsgaard and Dolberg are both given a little bit too much space on that one. Yeah, I mean, I, I would have to agree. I think when I watched it back today, obviously before doing this, I... I just couldn't kind of shake the feeling that Dolberg's, I, I think he had four touches on the edge of the box and the closest someone got to him was Mepham at the end. Why Mepham mm-hmm. was kind of on the the side of the ball rather than kind of behind it, I, I was a bit confused about. And, and Rodden, who, you know, has been fantastic this tournament, was just kind of stood there, really. He didn't try and close him down. Um, and... You know, it was kind of symptomatic of, of something that I thought kind of happened through the whole game in terms of where the goal came from. And do you know what? Yes, it's a great finish. Yes, he's bent it around the people in front of him, and you know, it is spot on in the bottom of the, you know bottom corner of the goal, really. But you know, in an international last sixteen knockout game, should should he be having that much time? Well, no, and I think it reflects the fact that Rodden and Mepham 
didn't have a good game. Yeah. Um, and there's, you know, there's wider stuff we can talk about with that. I think the early yellow card didn't help. Um, but compared to how they've managed to look like a unit in the in the three group games, um, that seemed to sort of evaporate on Saturday. Um, and I do think there was a little bit of uh, standing off when we needed to be more assertive, particularly in the D. I think the frustration as well was that we did start well. Like the first 20 minutes or so, up until Bale having his shot, really, I, I thought, you know, we looked quite confident and comfortable. We looked a threat. And then, you know, five minutes or so later, we, we struggled to keep the ball for a few minutes. And, and the next thing you know, they've obviously scored this kind of, I was going to say wonder goal. It's not a wonder goal, but, you know, you know, a really good goal. Um, and it just seemed to just kill us. I just never felt from that moment on we were going to get back into the match. Really. Just, I don't know, by the, the manner of the, the players in the game and everything around it. Well, obviously, the first 20 minutes, I thought we did really well and we were on front foot and the more impressive team at the start of the game. And then the Danes addressed the issues and we never did. You know, they pushed Christiansen up to become an extra midfielder and that basically was the felt like almost the end of our involvement in the game somehow. We just did not address that change. We'd been able to get Ramsey and Bale on the ball before that. The Danes put the extra person in midfield. They locked down Ramsey and we have no response. And I think that's actually my biggest disappointment is the fact that we kind of let them let them take charge and didn't respond. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I, I think, you know, they made that change. It worked. It was very effective. And then from there, we looked lost and kind of confused about mm -hmm. what to do next. And, you know, we'll come on to, you know, the second half, obviously, in a bit. But I think when, from my perspective, obviously, and I've not watched the full match back, just kind of extended highlights. So I, I could be just kind of, you know, my drunken perspective on the day getting in the way here. But I felt like we were very narrow. And I felt like our way of combating their change was that the three in the middle of Ramsey, Morel and Allen kind of stayed very central. And to add an extra player or two into midfield, the idea seemed to be that one or both of our fullbacks would kind of push up so that we would have the fullbacks playing almost as wide midfielders to an extent. So that would create an overload for us in midfield. And it just did not work. And the amount of times that they got in behind us and I don't know whether they knew we would do this or whether it just kind of panned out that way I don't know but I think if you look back at the four goals in one way shape or form all of those goals come from the ball going in behind into a wide area it moving us around far too easily so so many people were out of position which then in turn led to them having a goal scoring chance which they invariably scored and you know I think maybe I'm being a bit touch harsh on the first one but it did come from an um, an out to in sort of move um, and Mepham's out of position Rodden's not closing him down and if you look at Ben Davis on the first goal for example he's almost on the penalty spot he's so narrow like we looked really really shapeless and I think whatever we did if we did anything definitely didn't work and as a consequence the fact that we kind of plundered on with it for the rest of the game really really frustrated me and I think you know we were saying 
at the ground, you know, we need half time here. We need to get mm-hmm. in at half time. Surely we're going to have a change of shape. I really thought we would go to to even five at the back and the false nine thing or, or something like that um, just to try and match them up in midfield a little bit more. And we came out at half time, and it, after half time, it was just kind of more of the same. And it just, it was very frustrating, you know. And it, it did feel a little bit looking at some of our players, you know, Alan and Morel looking tired, for example. And I think something that you made the point of, we tried to set up for the break, but we never really looked like we were going to play that way. Yeah, I think that was another of my disappointments. I think we, we seemed to aim, as it were, to play on the break. And then never, how many runs did Dan James have? I can barely think of any. We never seemed to utilize that, particularly when one of their weaknesses was the slowness at the back. And we we never really pushed at that, perhaps for the first 10 minutes. But beyond that, we never really seemed to dig in there and and ask them questions. And I, I feel like we went one behind and in in games recently that's almost been like the spark that's woken woken us up and we've kind of dug our heels in and we've come out and we've we've battled for things and we've pushed back and we've stepped up the press and you know it's it's had a good positive reaction whereas this time when we went one down it was just like almost like a shrug, like, well, what do we do next? And there was no response to that. There was no, as you say, there was no tactical change. I don't, I don't think it was helped clearly when Connor Roberts had to, had to go off. Um, that unsettled us. We, we kind of dragged ourselves to half time and they, they, I, I'm with you. I was assuming that we'd come out with something different in the second half, whether it was change, as you say, to us kind of three slash five at the back, have more obvious width, try and use Bale and James a bit more, pull a false nine in, you know, something. And it just was more of the same. And and that asked no questions of the Danes and let them carry on doing what they'd managed to do in the second half of the first half and take ownership of the game. And we, we just... Like the whole of the second half, it never really felt like we were putting them under any pressure whatsoever. And I'm really disappointed by that because one of our strengths recently, and we've talked about this often, is being able to dig out a game when you're, when you're behind. Yeah, and, and we just didn't do that. I felt like we didn't really contribute mm-hmm. to the game. Like you, like you said, you know, we had no shots on goal after the 18th minute, which was the end of our kind of strong spell. And when Christensen... Yeah. Uh, came into came into midfield almost and you know and that is exceptionally frustrating I mean to look at the second goal I mean I I don't know if I want to pull at the VAR thread just because I feel like I might put my head through a wall but I, my frustration with VAR has always been there still are humans operating it and if you're not going to utilize it, then there's no point. And the inconsistencies between things that have happened, even in this tournament in games, Ampadu's red card obviously is still annoying me, but, you know, Lukaku did it, you know, a couple of nights ago and, and, and there was nothing there. In the England game today, someone did a worse challenge and got a, a yellow card. And it's the inconsistency is what gets me because 
you know, is it you? You could possibly make the argument it's maybe a bit of a soft foul on Cooper Moore if you wanted to. You could make that argument. Be that as it may, it is absolutely, unquestionably, one hundred percent a foul. And I just, for the life of me, don't get how. What is the point of having the system if you're not going to go back and check? And I don't know whether the argument was it was too many phases back in play or what. I I don't I don't know, but it was it was infuriating. The only thing I will say is, is that when the ball eventually comes forward at a point there, I think it's four on two, maybe even five. There is no way on God's green earth that from the position foul or otherwise that we should be conceding a goal there. Two things. I, I'm, I'm as frustrated as you about the VAR situation because I, I, I'm with you. I think you either use it and you try and use it to be consistent or you accept that there's human beings involved in this and you let the referees and the linesmen get on with the game. You know, you, I think it's one or the other. And we seem to be keep falling in this halfway house of VAR sometimes sorts things out. And then there's other times when VAR sorts things out that don't need sorting out, you know. Um a frustration which you might not be aware of was that from the television coverage, certainly what we we had over here, was VAR did look at the second goal, but they looked at whether the ball had gone over the sideline. Yeah. As it was coming as it was coming down on oh. the Dane's right hand edge. And I'm like, well, if you're looking at that, why why aren't you looking at the foul? Because at that point the foul is like five seconds earlier. You know, it's not it's it's they're so close to each other that you can't make an argument about the the timeline at that point. If you're prepared to look at the ball going out of play, then you should be looking at the, at the foul. Um, so that was frustrating. But ultimately, I'm with you. We shouldn't be conceding, regardless of what had happened to Moore, regardless of whether the ball had gone out of play. Under that set of circumstances and that kind of manpower, we shouldn't be conceding. And... You know, ultimately, it's because Nico miscues his clearance. And I'm, I don't want to hang him out to dry. That's not fair. But that's ultimately what cost us that goal. We were we were in formation. We had enough people back. We had them covered. Um, they hadn't created anything, really. And, you know, so it's it's in that respect, the foul sort of becomes an irrelevance, sort of. Yeah, I mean, just to add to the VAR thing, while we're, while while we're on this particular bandwagon, I, 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 that we were confused, and I've seen back why afterwards. But they were they looked at VAR for the first goal as well, um, and it was to see if Braithwaite, I think it was, was offside. Now, even if he was offside, he's not interfering with anything there. I mean, that's a perfectly good goal. I, it just the way it's slowing the game down and is used so differently from one game to another is it blows my mind and it really really annoys me. To go back to our to our goal there, I, you know the ball comes across and again I just don't know for the life of me and I agree I, I'm not hanging Nico Williams out to dry. He doesn't need me to tell him that he's messed up there. I just don't know why he's not let the ball run across him and just deal with it with his right foot because he's under no real pressure. And, you know, this is something we're going to come on to in the wider context of things is, is you know, the playing time. And I felt like it really did make a difference in the end. And I think a moment like that is where someone's young and inexperienced, hasn't really played much 
this season, never mind international football, you know, and, and top level football. And it, it seemed to me like that, a combination of inexperience and, you know, not having played recently kind of told for him there. I agree. And I think our communication was bad. Um, you know, someone should have been telling him how much time he had and that there was no man coming in off on his right hand sort of blind spot side, you know, that he had more time than perhaps he realised. That, that sort of communication seemed to disappear in this game. And we got much better in the group games, I felt, about communicating across the back line. That was another another factor that I think that fed into Rodden and Mepham having poorer poorer games uh, in, in Amsterdam. I agree. Um, oh, sorry, I, I'm, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it more later, but I do think there are, there's a question I feel about bringing Nico on in that particular game under those circumstances. When, when Roberts was injured, it was about, what, 15 minutes after the Danes had asserted themselves and changed their formation and taken control. And so it, it's not as though we weren't aware that they were now in charge of the game. And I do question whether adding another very inexperienced member to that defensive core was the right move. Um, I, I think, and it's, it's easy to be, to be wise in hindsight, obviously, but I think this might have been the game where we needed some experience back there and less of the running wing-back kind of dimension and and like I say it's easy to be wise after the event but um, I I question whether that was actually the right substitution under the circumstances of that game I'll be honest I think that in hindsight too with that said at no point during Nico readying himself and then coming on did I say to anyone around me I'm not sure he's the right man here so I, I don't want to say that now because I, I think that's really harsh and especially because he has done well for us on the whole since he's come in and he was maybe you could say he was due a mistake I, I you know for a young lad I don't know but I, I think that's a bit harsh on him but I, I think my only thing um, I, I think that's I think my point is less about Nico because that's not that's not I don't want to make this seem like Nico cost us that game because that's so far from the truth. You know, we collectively lost that game very clearly. I just feel that we put a very young, inexperienced player who's, who's well, barely is almost an exaggeration, barely playing for his club in a, in a very difficult situation. And I do think there's questions to be asked about how we, how we managed that and and the decision that was made at that moment. Like I, I like I'm not I'm not disagreeing. I I I I, I, I take your point wholeheartedly. I, my point is more that I, we didn't. I I certainly, anyways, wasn't critical of it at the time. So I don't want to be critical of it after the fact because, as you say, it's easy mm -hmm. to be wise after the event. That's that's more of what I'm saying, really. But I think the reality is, I think they did target our fullbacks in one way, shape, or form, and I think. You know that's something we have to be aware of. I think a lot of goals came from those areas. Again, even that goal has come from obviously. You know, once more has been tackled, the board does go down that left-hand side. Um, you know, Ben Davis is high up the pitch. Joe Allen is the one who comes across the cover. So again, they've got in behind our fullback, and then the other fullback has made a mistake. So that for me, that's an that the the, the issue for me is more. You know, 
the fact that they scored four goals, you know, I don't not exclusively from getting in behind our fullbacks, but some sort of thing happening in our fullback area has cost us three, you could argue, four of the goals. And that's the thing that I think is, is frustrating to me. I mean, you know, even even to look at the third goal, I mean, it was... I love Ben Davis, and again, you know, I'm not digging anyone out in in that sense here. But I just I just don't know where he's going when that ball is about to be crossed in. He kind of darts to the e- to the middle of the edge of the penalty area, and and then realizes he's no idea why he's done that and tries to cover, slips, falls over. But again, in that time, no one gets anywhere near that lad, and you know, just a dreadfully dreadfully poor goal to concede. Yeah, I've got nothing to disagree with there. Um, I mean, I think there are, as you said, there are defensive questions for at least goal one, two and three um, against us. And, you know, that's, it's another example of us not reading the space well and closing down and making them earn the goals, I mean, I think that was one of my disappointments. Was actually, the Danes didn't have to do much at all to yeah. beat us 4-0. Um, and yes, admittedly, two of those four are, you know, from 88 minutes and later. And there's a whole load of other things going on in that last five to ten minutes of the game. Um, but I think, I think it was the lack of fight, Dave, that really got me depressed on Saturday was we we went down in such a sort of passive placid way um and I think I think that's what I was having the most trouble with on by the time the game was over on Saturday was how we seemed to to not dig in and fight for it the way we have in recent games when we've been behind yeah, I, I, that, I think that was my overriding feeling after the match, if I'm honest. Um, I mean, the fourth goal, there's not a huge amount to say. You know, again, poor defending. I feel like they've moved us about the back and, you know, it is what it is. And obviously, Harry Wilson's red card. I don't want to kind of dwell on that too much before we go on to the wider, bigger picture stuff. But I just, I, I, maybe I'm being one-eyed, but I, I've seen that back, I, I'll say 30 times. It's obviously a foul. I just, I cannot see a world where that's a red card for me. And I know it doesn't affect the matter of the game. I don't think it affects the game or the outcome of the game, obviously, in any way. But it just is this nagging feeling of um, what is what is going on. And this Joe Rodden um, is obviously brilliant, but seems eminently quotable or memeable, if that's the right word where he, there's this brilliant video of him when the, when the ref is sending him off, he just kind of walks up to him and just goes, ref, you have been terrible. You have been terrible. And uh, and I, can't, I just can't disagree with him. And, you know, it was an... I just... I, can't, I just can't even see how they've got to that point because it looks like it's, it's... It's like the side of his foot has caught his calf. I mean, it's not like he's stamped on him or he's not kicked out at him. They've just... I don't know. Maybe I'm being a bit too one-eyed about it, but for me, I just, I just, I just don't see it. I think it's, it goes back to what we were saying earlier about the inconsistency. Yeah. Is it's it's very difficult to understand what is a 
a foul, a yellow card foul and a red card foul at the minute based on what we've seen across the whatever it is, 40 odd games that have been played so far. There, there is clear inconsistencies with what the referees are applying. And I think that's that's the hardest bit um, is trying to understand what what is what and and therefore what your parameters are as a as a player what you can and can't do i think it's it's felt like a um, you know moving goalposts through the whole tournament yeah and i think and i think that is one thing that has really frustrated me especially in our games i think we have been harshly treated by refs i mean to look at the the kind of wider issues you're definitely right the kind of the lack of fight was definitely seemed a thing to me the biggest thing the biggest factor i think is the lack of game time. I think I saw a stat afterwards that the Danes through the club season have played something like three times the amount of minutes that ours played, and that and, and you could you could see that like the midfield looked tired. Bale didn't look himself. Um, the lack of kind of I don't want to say teamwork because that sounds wrong, but the lack of I don't know. <laughs> An effective playing we, we bond, like, We perhaps. like cohesion in Amsterdam, yeah, definitely. That, that's, that's the, that's the across right all, word. Across all parts of the field. Yeah, and, and it was, you know, and I think that for me is possibly the biggest factor at play here. The Sorry, you mean the the club minutes? Yes. Is the biggest factor, yeah. Um, I would, I think it's difficult not to, not to see that as a, as a, as a concern because you look at the the spread of who hasn't hasn't been playing minutes across that team and really you 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 know Connor Roberts has had some regular play Kiefer Moore's had some regular play and that's probably about it across that across that team between people's injuries starting 11 at least between people's injuries and kind of standing in their in their respective club teams and that's a huge proportion of your starting eleven to be, um, to be affected in that way. I do think that throws up a wider question, though, Dave, of of the squad and the makeup of the squad and who we were taking, because there are there are players we left at home who've had more regular club exposure this season, and so if we're saying that we feel it's an issue that so many of our players haven't been playing regularly for their for their club team then i do think there's a question about the fact that there were there were players we left at home that have been playing more regularly tom lawrence might be an obvious example um so i i i think i i think we can't put all of the all of the query sort of holistically at at that external factor like we can't control how often Joe Rodden is playing for Spurs, um, but we can control who in the who is in the twenty six. And I think if we're asking the question of this, this was this was a problem. This is a problem we faced. Then I don't think we necessarily did what we could to mitigate it. When you look at the twenty six, I've been really back and forth about this. I, again, I don't want to say too much because in hindsight as we say hindsight's 2020 it's it's easy to say some of these things but i do think there are some stuff that we have been saying here for quite a while that i stand by has made a negative impact here 
And I think a lack of striking options in the squad absolutely undoubtedly in that final game in Amsterdam made you know, the lack of options off the bench was a huge issue. Um, I would add into that, we were talking about Volks. Someone like him who's been playing regularly, who's all action, can get a bit more further forward than someone else. You know, is the boy a world beater? No. Is he any better or worse than Morel? And I've got to say Alan, who I don't think was, you know, anywhere near what he's capable of. Ampadu obviously wasn't fit enough, I don't think, to be able to contribute fully. Um, and, you know, there are there were things that could have been done to mitigate that. Would it have been, you know, the easy decision for the manager to make? Absolutely not. You know, we, 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 we've heard there's been an issue with Volks. We, you know, we, we obviously know what happened to Hal, for example, who game time or otherwise definitely merited an inclusion in that squad over Tom Lawrence for me. And, you know, God forbid I say it because of oh, what, what I've said about Tom Lawrence in the past. But, you know, there was even a point where on, on Saturday I did think to myself, well, we... Could have done worse things to bring Tom Lawrence on here, and and I and I you know and I'm not going back on my my standpoint on that. I very much stand by it, but there were definitely things that could have been done. I, you know, I was less calling for this, but even someone like having James Chester in the squad, at least someone who'd played regularly, um, because every one of those players, with two exceptions, like you said, I think have barely played this year and it really did start to tell and it, it, it you know it's all well and good having a young squad and and I and I think that's great and it's good for the future but you've got to you've got to live in the here and now as well and I and I and I felt like there were a few wasted opportunities there and you know Dylan Levitt I'm not having him that he shouldn't have been in the squad over 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 Volks he, he offered nothing um Reuben Colwell as great as a story as it was he was obviously never in contention for anything. He didn't make any of the match day squads. Makes you wonder what was the point. You know, if if there's someone else that we could have had a gamble on who could have done something. I'm not saying Doidge is the answer, but I'm just saying for him as an example. So there were definitely question marks that we raised at the time, I think. I think the absence of a, a striker was quite telling by the end, Dave. Like, yes, we could bring Tyler Roberts on, but he's predominantly played for Leeds. And yes, he's had some minutes in fairness, particularly in the second half of the season. Um, but I think there are there are definite questions that we ra- we raised when the squad was announced of the inexperience. Um, people have raised since in terms of the the sort of developmental nature of this. I mean, I I I I'm with you. I think it's fine to have young players involved, give them experience. We've we've reaped the rewards after all of throwing you know the gunters the bales and the ramses of the world in very young so you know i think it would be hypocritical to um to not see the positives in taking some of these younger players uh but i think there was perhaps an overemphasis on that and there are some players who could have being used in the short term that we perhaps left at home. And I think it's left us with this weird um, reliance on Kiefer Moore. I mean, we keep coming back to this where, you know, even if we'd have gone through against the Dames, he would have he would have missed the next game because of his two yellow cards. And we, you know, we kept raising this issue of Moore is going to get yellow cards. He's going to miss a game in a tournament scenario if we go in you know, we go any depth into the tournament. And and again, we just didn't have a way to address that. So I, th- I think there was a little bit of naivety around that, that it's, it's 
questions we were asking previously. So I think it's fair for us to ask them now. Yeah, and I think, you know, is, again, it is quite easy for us to say this now, but I do think, as you said there, and I, I mentioned before, we were kind of raising these issues beforehand. So I think it is only kind of right that we continue to do that. I, 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 I do... I'm, not, I'm trying really hard not to be negative because I, I recognise where we have come from. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I just cannot shake this feeling, and this is my biggest bugbear, and I dare say yours as well, that we have not had a plan B. I don't think since Chris Coleman. And, you know, I, I'm not placing this on Rob Page's door, uh, Rob Page's door, sorry, because it's not just his fault. Chris Coleman didn't really have a plan B. Ryan Giggs has experimented with this kind of 352 false nine type thing, which Page has then carried on, but it's not really been used as our plan B. And I just felt like on Saturday, we were crying out for a plan B. And that was the time we needed it. That's what we've been talking about when it happens. And we have that opportunity. We have that moment. And, you know, with all due respect to Tyler Roberts, we bring off the man who's looked most likely to score us goals. I mean, Gareth Bale took one off Kiefer Moore's head at 2-0. You know, that goes in with 20 minutes to go. Maybe the game changes. He 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 was our only way back into the game, really. And we've taken him off for, for Tyler Roberts, who's never scored for Wales. He's never looked like scoring for Wales. I, I've, said, I've said a lot of times that I don't think he's up to it for Wales. Yet, he was the one who was tasked with coming on and that that is that game why we needed a plan b right there and our plan b was to take off what i think is our biggest threat and and i just you know i could not believe what i was seeing in the stadium when that happened i can't disagree with that dave i think it you know it goes back to what we were just saying about having recognized striking option but i i think as well as my concern around us not having a plan B, I don't think we had an embedded and an established plan A. You know, the fact that we played our warm-up games predominantly with a back five, although kind of by accident with a back four on occasion, and then went into the tournament and played a back four, um, tweaked it again for the Italy game. You know, um, I think we, we seemed to be still in developmental mode at a point where we needed to know what we were doing. And I appreciate it's been a horribly topsy-turvy season. I appreciate we've had um, camps affected by injury and players that haven't been available. And I appreciate in this, as we went into this tournament, it still wasn't clear who was actually going to be through their injuries and on what sort of timeline. Um, I fully appreciate there was an awful lot to juggle here, but I I just think we're still suffering from, as I say, being in sort of experimental developmental mode. You just can't be in that mode going into a tournament. You have to know what you're doing. I mean, do you think that the the travel situation impacted things to an extent as well? I think... We look tired in Amsterdam, so I, I think it would be reasonable to say that the schedule, cert- well, it certainly didn't help. Everybody in Group 2 um, has had cl- clearly a much worse schedule than teams in other groups. But then you have yesterday, they had their- they got through, you know, 120 minutes and looked competitive for all of it and kept going, and, and, and they went Rome. Um, sorry, they were Rome Baku, so they had it even worse than us. So I think we would 
I think I used to think that it didn't have a negative effect. I've got to, I think we've got to be careful we don't overstate that, though. No, uh, that that was my thought. I, I, I think I, we're in danger of looking for excuses here to kind of suit our narrative a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, were we treated unfairly in inverted commas? I don't really like that expression, unfair, because it sounds like we're Kevin the teenager on, you know... Um, oh, I've forgotten the name of that bloody TV show now. Harry and Phil and Chums. There you are. Um, but I... I do think it was unfair that England, for example, have not travelled any miles uh, and we've, you know, been around the world in 80 days. You know, it, it's that that is not balanced. H- has that affected us? I, I think it would be naive of us to use that as an excuse, looking at what the Swiss, like you mentioned, have done yesterday. Um, other teams have had it worse than us as well, not just the Swiss. So I, I think we need to kind of be careful and, and wary of that because I don't think that's a sensible excuse. Has it helped? Of course not. I don't think anyone is is claiming that. But I, I think it, it certainly hasn't, you know, made as big an impact. I mean, one thing that I know you raised in our kind of pre-match notes is the, the decision to stay in Rome a little bit longer. I, I don't know what you what your thoughts on that were, whether that was a pre-planned thing or whether it was a last-minute change well, of heart. Or it what? was in, it was it was interesting because when we were chatting with Mark Evans, the the plan had been to jump straight on the plane after the Italy game and come back to the Vale and then just see, see what was next. Um, but obviously that changed, and they decided to stay in to stay in Rome and just go on to Amsterdam from Rome. And I I actually think that was a really sensible decision. I think it was easy, interesting that that was a decision that was made once they got they got to Rome, and I wonder if the if the sort of the wear and tear and miles was starting to show at that point. Um, and I think that was the right decision. Don't get me wrong; I think it was sensible to to have one less flight. There was no point flying to Cardiff to then fly to Amsterdam when you could do it directly from Rome, and. You know, you know, it's just, it's another day that you have to write off to travel and all of that. And I, I think it was a good decision, but I just, I think it's an interesting, uh, an interesting change and perhaps was a reaction to some of the miles starting to take an effect. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm in full agreement. I, I'm sure it was a well-planned and thought-out decision. It wasn't something that someone just thought last minute, bloody hell, should we stay here? Like that, that would have been planned out to the nth degree and that decision would have been based on a lot of planning. So... It was obviously the right decision at the time, and, I, and again, I don't think that kind of negatively affected things one way or the other. Um, I, 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 one thing I did want to raise before I look at before we look at sorry some kind of wide, more wider stuff is is the group itself. I I do think we need to just try and be a bit of positivity. I do think we need to give ourselves a bit of a slap on the back. You know, everyone beat Turkey, but they're by no means a bad team. You don't come through qualifying conceding just three goals. They beat Holland the Netherlands, sorry, not long ago, 4-2. That, that's not an accident. Um, they are a decent side. Okay, they didn't perform, but they are still a decent side. Switzerland obviously proved last night how good a, t- a team they are capable of being. Um, and obviously Italy, to keep them to 1-0, given the circumstances, I, I do think whilst our frustration is justified. I do think we need to give ourselves a bit of a slap on the back. I hate the thing of just saying, yay, we got out of the group, because I, I think we need to be bigger than that mentality. But I do think we equally perhaps underestimated it. I certainly underestimated the Swiss, and we saw last night just how good they are. I, I think we did very well to get out of that group. I think 
you know, b- before the tournament, I remember us saying that we would be incredibly pleased to get out of that group and get to the last 16. And I, I think with the all of the other circumstances that are going on here, you know, an unclear managing management situation, um, no CEO at the FAW, players that have barely played for their clubs, the injury situation and all the ongoing questions there, the travel arrangements to to Baku. I think getting out of that group was an achievement, and I don't think we should lose sight of that. And I think we have to. It goes back to how we started this this pod that we have to remember where we are and what and what we've managed to achieve. And I think I think particularly coming back against Swiss, I think we that's that was a really good result, and I. The, you know the doggedness that we showed there, and and the same. You know some of the some of the play against the Turks. We played some beautiful football in that game. We shouldn't lose sight of that. And I think we also showed something against the Italians. And admittedly, it wasn't their it wasn't their starting eleven. It wasn't our starting eleven. And um, to to hold them to one goal under the circumstances with the the ten men, I I thought. We did really well, and I'm I'm with you. I think we have to remember um, what getting out of that group says about where we are. Yeah, I mean, I I think we've got to be realistic to an extent with our situation at the moment. I think it's all well and good for me saying, you know, we should have done this, we should have done that. You know, the situation, like you said, our players not playing club football, there's not a lot we can do about that. There weren't many alternatives to pick from. You've just got to hope you can do enough to get them ready. And, you know, I'm not saying the coaching staff didn't get them ready, but there's only so much you can do in that circumstance. You know, you can only play more match minutes by playing more matches. And, you know, it was a, it's a difficult situation. So, you know, absolutely, you know, we've got to be sensible about where we've come from uh, and realistic about that. But I do think, looking back at a more wider picture, I, I really think it's so important from this point onwards that we don't sit on our laurels to an extent here and just say we did well to get out of the group. That is, that's us. We're happy to be here. I think my big thing, you know, you you've, you alluded to all the issues that are going on in the FAW at the moment. You know, we haven't got a CEO. The manager's the interim manager, whilst our other manager, you know, is in a in hell of a mess. You know, there's there's a lot of kind of ifs and buts and maybes here, and I and I do think this is something that needs to be resolved in the, in the future and quite quickly to move forward. Because is is Page the right man for the job? I, I've said the whole time I don't think he is. Um, long term, he's done a good job in the circumstances, and, I, and I've said from the start of this that I don't think he's the right man for the job long term. But you know, these are the things that do need to be resolved now. He's he's done a good job for now. He will he will keep us around that area of you know we're you know top twenty in the world, and that in itself in and of itself is a good achievement. But I think we should always be looking to strive to improve because otherwise, if you don't, you go backwards very very quickly. And I think is is Rob Page the man for us to hang our hat on in terms of improving? I, I really don't think he is. And and I know you can't judge him on one game or one tournament or four games or whatever. There are definitely things that, you know, I'm, I'm sure he would never come on our podcast. But if, if he did, there are things I am sure that he would say, I could have done that a little bit better or a little bit differently. And, and I think we need someone who will take us on. And I just, I just, 
I feel bad saying it, but I just don't think it's him. And, and even part of it comes down to the, the lack of willingness to change the shape and, and everything in that in that game on Saturday. And I know it's bigger than just one game, but I, I really think that's a big part of it. I think because of the circumstances with gigs, and if I remember rightly, the case is being heard in January. So I don't think the situation is gonna is going to change because Giggs has made it clear he's not going to resign. The FAW can't or won't sack him. Um, who who else is going to take on the scenario at the minute? I think I think all things considered, Page has done a very good job in the big picture of things. Might have got things wrong on Saturday, but I think overall he's done a good job. I don't think there's a change to be had. Um, and I think that's one of the things that concerns me because obviously by the end of the autumn we'll we'll know where we stand with the with the World Cup qualification groups. And it was interesting, I can't remember the I think it might have been the S4C in S4C interview that Page gave. But he was he was already talking about the March playoffs, you know, as though that were the best we could hope for as opposed to going for a win in the group and I realize it's a difficult group to win but I the language concerned me a little bit that it was already playing for March as opposed to playing for a group win yeah I mean the way he speaks sometimes is, is brilliant that that line about the character of a Welshman I think is, is a fantastic very quotable line but equally uh, you've got to get things right on the pitch and you know you look at Southgate today for England as an example I know we don't like to talk about them but Southgate loses that game he, he probably loses his job he wins the game he's a national hero and unfortunately that's what it comes down to in, in big major tournaments you know that's that's the way it is the, the Germans now the flip side you know Lowe, he, he he's leaving that job you know on a very sour note the bloke won in the World Cup you know <laughs> in international football you do live and buy live and die by what happens in tournaments my own, my big concern is is that you're right is that you're we we there isn't a window of opportunity here to do much i don't know what the alternative is because stoivenberg he'll probably leave now uh, to focus on arsenal so we probably need to get someone in there who makes that decision is it Paige? Is it the CEO? Mm. Well, well, God, we haven't got a CEO. Is it Giggs? Well, probably not, because we don't know if he's coming back. Like, you know, will Lenny's contract expire? I'd imagine. We're just in this state of limbo, and it's all well and good to say we'll just give it Paige and for the World Cup qualifiers. But I don't think we're in a position where we can gamble on someone for the World Cup qualifiers. And I get, but I, <laughs> the impossible thing is, I, I just don't know what the alternative is. It's 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 really really difficult, and I just. It's a weird one to to be where we are, and feel like we're in relative limbo all at the same time from where we've come from, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think we've been fortunate that that our ducks have lined up nicely, and now now we're hitting the quagmire, and now we've got to see how we can get through it. You know, we've been we blessed with a few absolutely amazing. We've been blessed with an FW that have turned themselves around and become a very well-run and, and enviable organization. And I think what they're doing, the wider stuff that they're doing is amazing. I think their their kind of cultural impact created. And I think it's interesting we've got all of those positives in the background and yet 
it feels like we're in a bit of a quagmire and we're in a bit of a fork in the road at the moment. I think fork in the road is, is definitely the right way to say it because the FAW have done fantastically well to turn themselves around for what they were and again to where we are. And I think it's important to notice here, from my perspective anyway, we're not being critical of the situation because we do, you know, more than a lot of people and more than most recognise where we have come from. And we have all been, you know, you, you know, I'm, I'm not having a dig, but you have been on this journey slightly longer than me. Um, and... <laughs> You know, but I've I've been there. I, I know how that feels. All right, I've not had to wait quite as long, um, but I you know I know I'm I'm aware of our history. You know, so I'm not. It's a difficult one to find that balance because I, I sound like I'm being negative, but I, it's not about being negative. It's about trying to look forward because I feel like we need to keep progressing because you know your Bales and your Ramses don't. They, you know, they're once in a generation type players. And uh, no one's expecting the FAW to constantly produce world-class players like Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey. It, that that doesn't that doesn't mean that can't be our aim, though. You know, I I don't and I don't think there's anything wrong with saying we we want to have one or two world-class players per kind of cycle when we when we have a have a squad. And and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, it we can we may not achieve it, but we can still strive for that. Um. So uh, I, my point, I guess, is that I'm trying to, I, I want us to keep looking forward here, not just say, well, we've done something we never thought we would, good for us. And, and I don't think the FAW will do that either. And again, I'm not being critical of them. I'm just saying that I, I do hope we continue to strive uh, forward, really, and keep pushing our development. Because you look at Croatia and Denmark, for example, they're, they're very small countries. They are still striving, they are still driving forward, and they are still trying to achieve something. And I think it's really, really important that we continue to do that because we can compete as a small nation. These other countries are showing us that, that we can, and I think that's, you know, that's something for us to aspire to, I think. Got to agree, Dave. I mean, in the, in the framework of things, we've come so far. We've had so many positives. We've had so much joy that I don't want to lose sight, uh, sight of that. I do wonder whether, in a strange way, the the emphasis of use in this particular squad and what we've been doing lately is sort of looking looking towards the World Cup, perhaps in with more emphasis than we've appreciated. Um, you know, the only the only players in this squad which with more than thirty caps are the uh, you know what you might think of as the six old timers, Hennessy and Bale and Gunter Allen, Ramsey and Davies, you know, every, everyone else is on relatively few caps. We've blooded, a, we've got a lot of young players that have got a lot of experience now um, through the national team. You know, we've, we've ha have we sort of taken things by the scruff of the neck and said the development isn't happening at the clubs. We're going to have to find a way around it. We're going to have to develop them in game with us and kind of taken this tournament on the chin as it were looking further forward knowing that nothing that we could do this tournament would live up to the last euros so making it very much a building block operation with the world cup in mind and i i don't know whether i'm trying to find positives that aren't there but i just wonder whether there is a bigger picture here perhaps than just looking at this tournament I, I take the point, and this was one of the things that when I was making my notes before, I just, again, I couldn't kind of decide on how I landed on it. Ultimately, 
we are going to have moments where things don't work out for us. Like we've got this ridiculous record where we've qualified from every group stage, but I suppose we've only been in three tournaments. But that's still a fantastic achievement. That won't last forever. You know, the more qualifying we do, and hopefully there is lots more, that is going to fall down at some point, I'd imagine. So this is by nowhere, you know, this is still a good achievement in, in and of itself. I, I just don't think if the if the plan was to use this as a building block, I think I, I do think that's really quite naive. I I don't think it was. I I don't know. That's like I say. I just can't kind of make my mind up. I I think if it was the case, it's a little bit naive, purely because there are no guarantees. You know, March and the playoffs and all that stuff might come around. Yeah, we might get we might get 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 in. We might win the group. Who knows? But there's no guarantees of this. There's no guarantees that we're going to come second in our group again or qualify through the Nations League again for another tournament. I feel like we have to go into that tournament full-blooded, attacking it as, as, as best we can. And if our aim was to do that, then I, I do feel that's a bit of a, a missed opportunity. But again, we're, we're kind of talking in ifs and buts there, um, I, I suppose. It's, you know, I think we've got to try and keep moving forward like i said and kind of build forwards and i and i do think there are building blocks that need to be put in place to do that the ceo the manager but again we're kind of going around in circles talking about that i guess i think we do need to mention a a, a few other things um and i don't know what the answer is but how do you think we could have chosen a squad or players or selected things a little bit better to ensure that players were fresh or or did we just get unlucky in that sense? I'm, I'm not sure we had a, a huge choice there. If, I, if we look at the starting 11 that we ended up going with, I was and am, ha am happy with that. I think it's the 11 I would have started with. I think it's the 11 most of us would have started with. Yeah. We can only do so much about the background situation with their clubs. Um, I think Ampadu's uh, time, the injury timing really affected him. Um, I'm not sure Ben Davies is 100%. Um, I, you know, I think, I think there are a lot of kind of questions about where those individuals are, but I don't think I'd have had a different 11. Um, I think where we've, where we've developed is in having options. You know, we can actually discuss, are we playing a three at the back with wing backs? Are we playing a four at the back? Are we playing a false nine? Are we playing a old fashioned target man striker? You know, and everything in between. I think, I think we've genuinely developed some options. I think the problem is we've continued to juggle those options as opposed to homing in on what is our primary plan A, and then, and then having a good alternative plan B. So I think we've we've made strides along that journey, and I think there is more strength in this squad than um, than we had in the 2016 one, for example. I think I think there's more there. I just think they're less cohesive on the pitch than the 2016 squad were, and I don't think that's a reflection on anything other than time and their capacity to have games together, which has obviously been disrupted over the last 18 months anyway. Uh, COVID reasons, injury reasons, um, you know, three of them being sent home from the 
from the March. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the March group. You know, I, th I think we've had a very disruptive 18 months in trying to get the cohesion on the field. I've got no doubts that they're cohesive as a squad. And I think, we, you know, we've seen yet more evidence of just how together they are. Um, but I think, I think we have failed to become a cohesive unit as an 11 on the field. And I think that's what I'll be looking for in the autumn is that that progresses. Um, I think our sort of immaturity and petulance showed through a little bit. We've had four red cards in the last seven games. Yes, you can put some of that down to refereeing, perhaps even more than some of it. But there's a pattern there. You know, when when Newport County were getting red cards at that sort of rate, we were saying you've got to do something about this. And so I think I think there's there's things to learn. Um, I think we've got to be careful we don't become we don't end up with a reputation of a team that get red cards because that become that can become self fulfilling as well. Um, so I think I think overall I, I I can't and won't complain about the eleven that went out on the field. I just don't think we necessarily got them as ready as we would have liked. Part of that was us shillying and shallying, and part of it is circumstances beyond our control. I do think to add to that as well, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to get some players back to a level that, if we're honest, they're never going to get to again. You know, like we're, we're looking at Gareth Bale, that he's definitely on the way down. I'm, I'm not saying I wanted to be dropped or anything, but we're trying to coax performances out of him that maybe aren't in him. We're trying to replace mm -hmm. perhaps Gareth Bale in the, in the, you know, the, the medium term future. We're, we're trying to replace, in my opinion, Wales's best ever footballer. You know, it, we've also got to have that added context. And I would say Aaron Ramsey is, 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 would be in one of our top 10 greatest footballers list, or at least near it. And, and again, you know, he's someone who's not been at his best this season through injury and, and lack of playing time or whatever. So I do think the added context of, of not just the outcomes, but also... You know the situational stuff for there. It's not like we're replacing Dan James with with Di Brooks, for example. You know, James is definitely a better player, but they're still similar. We're, we're trying to replace or get stuff out of someone who is the best footballer we have ever produced, and there is also that contextual side of it as well. I think so. You know, it's it's easy for us to sit here and say this, that, and the other, and I think a lot of what we said is is fair and, and I think is accurate. But I also think that there is the added bits of context that, you know, it's easy for us to forget. And I, and I do think, you know, there's also this side of me that thinks, come what may, these lads have, have done something for us that I never thought would happen. And, and that kind of pride in the team and, and everything that goes around it. And that's the, just the last thing I want to move on to is the, 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 the backroom staff and everything, you know, that they do to, to produce not just what we see on the pitch, but also what we see on social media and, and you know, the background stuff and you know, it's, I find, you know, us doing this podcast is quite a, a weird thing in a way because uh, I was going to do a bit of a name drop there. What a dick thing to do. I was gonna, when I was on uh, TalkSport with Max Rutchton, um he, he asked <laughs> so about, anyway. exactly, uh, he asked about the podcast and where's it come from and all of this. So I kind of told the story about how you and I met and, and all this other stuff. And I kind of started to think about it as I was going on. And you just think, bloody hell, like we've met or got to know in some way, shape or form or spoken to, or whatever, like really a vast amount of people involved at the highest level of running Welsh football, <laughs> that they make themselves open and available to, you know, 
I was going to say two idiots. I'm I'm an idiot at least. I'll let you quantify yourself, Ruth. But um, uh, you know, the fact that they give their time so readily to people like us is amazing. And you know, John Smith, the photo- the first team photographer, for example. Um, I, I text him and said, oh, if you're around, I'd love to, you know, say hi and kind of meet you in the flesh sort of thing as we've had a bit of back and forth with him. And um, he texted me and said, oh, can you tell me where you, text me back and said, tell me where you are on the ground. And he took a photo of our group from the other side of the pitch. Um, he was behind the other goal to us and took a picture and kind of came over just before kickoff um, and kind of like took a few snaps of us and that it said he'd send on um, and kind of gave us a bit of a wave and a thumbs up and, you know, Things like that matter so much, I think, to fans. And I recognise that we are in a privileged position doing what we do and getting, you know, the the contacts that we have. But I think there's a lot of stuff and a lot of people, like John, for example, who go under the radar. And we said this when we spoke to Mark Evans. And, and it's so true. And I think that, you know, while we can bemoan what happened on the football pitch I think to get to this point it is bigger than the football pitch and everything that goes along with it and I'm just so proud of supporting the team that we do because I think they are they are genuinely a team it's not just the 11 people on the pitch it's it's everyone involved isn't it yeah I think the fact that we as we've said already the fact that we can sit here and feel a little bit heartbroken of going out in the last 16 of a tournament Oh, my word, what I would have given to have even (laughs) been able to contemplate that for, you know, 48 of my 53 years. You know, it's just like it is crazy. Um, So going back to the FAW team, I think, you know, you look at the way they the time and effort that went into branding the training ground in Baku. You know, with those inspirational quotes and photos and logos and everything just to try and make it feel home when it clearly wasn't. But just everything was done to make that feel like a base for the players. I thought that was, you know, it's it's those things which no one's from the FAW is shouting about. But just the stuff they're doing, the artwork with their um, with their uh, tweets, the. Uh, the involvement of um, the fans back home and integrating their messages through FC Cymru and all that sort of thing. The singing of the anthems by the the number of schools last Friday was just inspiring. Um, speaking personally, you know, you and I, we've ha- we've been able to sit in on on uh, press conferences with with players and just to have that direct contact I I just can't say how privileged it's made me feel and you know for some of those events I've been up at 5 30 to get get online and get in those press conferences and throughout it has felt an immense privilege and I am incredibly grateful to the way the FAW takes such and wide cultural view of this um you know like the mural um where did it go up uh was it in butte that went up at the weekend just just the the efforts that are being made to be inclusive and to be responsive i i i just can't thank them enough it has been a wonderful experience yeah, it really has. We've been very lucky and we're very grateful for, for all of these things. And I think 
we, we, you know, I, I've said a few times through this tournament that supporting Wales is more often than not not really about the football a lot of the time. You know, it's about your your life experiences around it. It's the friendships you've built. It's the the games you go, the stories you tell. It's you know, down in a quick Jack and Coke before you run to the game just so you can sneak one more drink in. You know, it, it's those sort of experiences and and those sort of things that you remember and joke and talk about with your pals and um. The football's always been a bit of a bonus and we've got to the point where the fact that the football is a genuine bonus now and whilst the football is good, everything around it is, is has got better as a consequence and that doesn't just evolve from, you know, you and me doing this and, you know, you having a drink with your pals and watching the game and wherever everyone else at home has watched it. Everything has grown and got better and there's a genuine connection there. I don't know whether it's because we're a small country or whether we're, it's, it's because of where we've come from and we're bonded a little bit by the the tragedy and the and the disappointments and, and everything else I, I i don't know i can't imagine you know it's a bigger job but the, the the head of the fa you know coming to chat to a two-bit podcast from i don't know hartlepool or whatever you know it, it wouldn't happen and the fact that Mark Evans, for example, gave us that access to him is 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 is, is amazing, and we've been so lucky uh, with all of that. So I guess I'm just laboring the point now, but I, I just I just I'm, I only say it because it has just been, like you said, a massive privilege, and has been is added us an extra insight, but has also added us so much fun. I mean, you know, we got we got mentioned on we were on the front page of BBC Sport website over the weekend. My stupid gurning tubby little face was on the front page of probably one of the biggest sport websites in the world. Ellis James mentioned us on his on his distant pod podcast this week, which is one of the you know the most listened to podcasts in the UK. All of these things are happening, you know, b- because of because of the the levels of access we've been given to other stuff. You know that people haven't just plucked us out of the blue. It's it's because we've been given stuff. Uh, along the way and I'm just I'm so grateful for that yeah can't can't say more than than thank you it's just it's 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 wonderful I'm loving every minute of it (laughs) well that seems like a pretty good place to finish I know we had a few other things we wanted to talk about the Dutch thing where was was high on my list of priorities but uh, um, I I I think it's probably best we finish on a on a positive note so um so thank you very much for listening thank you for sticking with us uh, throughout the euros we've had a lot of fun doing this we've had great interactions with so many people I, I don't know if there's anything you want to add on that on that side Ruth no I just and I also wanted to thank the people that have been writing and contributing and making artwork for us as well there's a little team there that have uh, have been a huge help too yeah absolutely everyone who's written articles for Game of Willard uh post-match reports that some people have done that we've posted uh, um, obviously that the artwork like Ruth said there um yeah we're just grateful uh, you know our numbers have gone up reasonably well over the last couple of weeks which has been a bonus to it all as well so yeah just a massive thank you from us really um for for interacting with us and and making this kind of worthwhile we've had some nice messages so we are we are very grateful for that so thank you Okay, let's let's wrap up while we're we're feeling gooey and exactly you know. before <laughs> b- before I before I start crying for the fifth time this weekend. Um, okay, well there you are, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this podcast, like Wales's uh, contribution to the Euros, is unfortunately over, um, but we will be back soon, no doubt, with uh, with more stuff to look forward to ahead of qualifiers for the men and the women in September and October, and much more besides, no doubt. So from us for now, thank you very much and goodbye. Bye-bye.